1: This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is—I will make you a millionaire. Another episode helping someone reach their goal of making millions. But yeah, I see. Like you're getting uh, good feedback. Like, have you like getting like
2: any positive feedback? Like people write to you and stuff. I've had so many different kinds of people write to me, even people who aren't my target audience, just thanking me for being so honest about the business and my mistakes and, and sort of my journey. And that's been really cool because I was self-conscious. After we recorded the first episode, I thought to myself, oh no, did I share too much? Did I, did I make myself look bad? But then I, I even listened to the episode and I felt empowered by just my story and just being so vulnerable. So I'm glad people are enjoying it. It's also crazy. It's a little bit trivial. Like your your episode is also the
1: first one on the series that have a different intro, intro music.
2: Oh yeah, I heard I that. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know. I loved it. I was like, this is so cool. I get, a, I get a unique intro. Yeah, from now on, it's gonna be that. But like yours is the first one that did that. Yeah, That's so funny. I liked it. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, I was, I was pumped. I got so many messages from people, and it was, it was awesome. It was awesome to see so many people listen to it and relate to aspects of it. Yeah.
1: So it seems like uh, I got your notes and thank you for sending those. It seems like you've made a lot of progress this past week. I did. You want to tell us some of the specifics?
2: Yeah, I want to start with the things that I found to be the most fun, which was making idea lists for everyone in every situation. So one of the things I was really proud of was I got a rejection email from a TV producer, somebody who was on the phone with me, loved my idea for a reality show. And then he brought it back to his boss, and his boss said no. And the only reason he said no was because I they had another company had pitched this idea seven years ago. And it didn't sit well with me that that was the only reason. So I wrote I wrote a list back to him basically saying, hey, here's 10 reasons why I think you're wrong. And this is a perfect time to pitch this TV show. And I wrote out the 10 reasons. Each reason, I gave a specific example. I backed it up with some data. And he actually wrote back and he's like, Jen, I agree with you fully. And if I was had the budget to do this, I would. But I can't convince these people to do it because of all these reasons, but he gave me, and then he wrote back, he gave me ideas of what I can do next to help this happen. So that was really cool. And I will, I, CNBC reached out for me to be in a video series they have. And rather than saying, yes, I reached back out to them with a list of 10 video series that I could post for them and I just had so much fun looking at every situation and thinking about how can I give them 10 ideas or how can I approach this with that 10 idea effect and it impressed so many people I even did it for a friend who asked me the question of what should I be doing with my life and I wrote back in 90 seconds 10 ideas for her for what she should do with her life and she was completely blown away
1: yeah do you do you see like now we've been doing this about a month And, or or maybe even a little bit more, I forget the first uh, time you came on, but it literally doing, writing 10 ideas a day, literally rewires your brain, like.
2: Beyond, yeah, and it makes it easy. It's easy to show up with these 10 ideas. And you know, they were, not all of them were great ideas, but they were decent. They were really decent ideas that impressed other people in these situations.
1: So two things, one is, it's impossible for every idea to be good. The key is of course, doing the exercise and exercising the brain and rewiring the brain. So you get more and more creative and have ideas when you really need them. It's just exercise and so on. But the other thing that you've been doing is very important and is let's say there are two types of skills to becoming a millionaire. One skill is, okay, I have this expertise about marriage, And I'm going to make a newsletter. So I need the skills to make a newsletter, some skills for writing, some skills for communicating business skills and so on. So those are like the, the quote unquote hard skills for, uh, making a million dollars, but the soft skills are maybe even more important. And one soft skill is sharing your ideas with others. And people are afraid to do that because they think, oh no, this is my one good idea. They're going to steal it. And I hear this every day like from, from people like, what do you do with your idea? I don't want to just send it to Amazon. They'll steal it. Believe me. If Amazon wants to steal your, they're going to, they're going to steal your idea. Even if you make your idea, they'll steal it. If they really want to make it, you know, and I've had people steal ideas from me, but I think I've told stories about me sharing idealists before and having great results with it. But in 2002, when I first started doing these idealists, I really wanted to break into the finance industry. And this is like almost 20 years ago. And so I sent two lists, of, uh, I, I was making idealists every day, but I sent two lists. One was a list to hedge fund managers, detailing, um, 10 pieces of software I wrote that could trade the markets. And I offered, I sent this out to 10 hedge fund managers and I offered to, um, Teach their employees how to use my code. I don't want any money from it. I'm just happy to let them use it. And one hedge fund manager responded and actually invested money with me, and that started me in the hedge fund business. And then another idealist I wrote to um, Jim Kramer at thestreet.com. And I said, Here's 10 ideas for articles you should write. I would love my subscription to thestreet.com even more if you wrote these articles. No reply necessary. And he wrote back instantly and he said, these are great. You should, uh, write these articles. And that was after, after 12 years of writing, uh, that was the first time I had a paid gig for writing, which turned into 25 books later and newsletters that have made me, you know, a lot of money. It changed my life, writing ideas down and then sharing them changed my life in every situation. So every year there's at least one or two stories I have like that, where, if I hadn't written idealists and then shared them, my life would be completely different right now.
2: And I also found, I always find that the number 10 is both so impressive to the people you send it to because they think you spent so much time. But it's also so great for you because every single time I make these lists, I don't know if you feel this way too. By number seven, I'm sweating. Yeah. And I feel like I can't go on. And that is where the good stuff sometimes comes out. But that to me, every time I get to seven and I panic a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, same here. Like I get to seven and I start counting. Have I reached 10 yet? And like five minutes late and it's just seven. And like, Oh, I got to come up with uh three more. And then like 10 minutes later, I'll count again. And it's still seven because I, I didn't write any more new ideas. I should have remembered, but it's still seven. And the thing is you can't take an easy shortcut then like, like for instance, let's say you're writing an, an idea list of, Oh, here's children's books. I could write and you know, uh, or a list of children's books to write, they can't be like, oh, I'm going to just make eight, nine, 10, like the same as, you know, like, like, let's say I said, oh, I'm going to write a, a, a children's book of crossword puzzles. I can't now say, oh, I'm going to write a children's book of Sudoku puzzles because that's kind of the same thing. It depends on the kind of list I'm doing, but you have to almost make them harder. Eight, nine and 10.
2: Yeah. I, f- I found that this week when I was doing my lists for some of the, my projects, I saw, I wrote social media three different times in three different ways. And I said, Jen, you're not cheating. We're going to, even if it takes you two hours, you're going to get to 10.
1: Yeah. It's very important that you catch yourself cheating. Like it's a certain kind of, I guess, intellectual honesty with yourself that, Oh, this was a little too easy. You've got to really make it harder. It's sort of like the Mike Tyson quote, by the way, have you ever noticed? A lot of people quote Mike Tyson. Like he's like this great philosopher. So like you, you know i remember one quote he has is uh you can have a plan until and then, until you get punched in the face meaning you know plans are useless ultimately and another thing he said is i don't start counting my push-ups until i'm in pain and so it's it's the same thing with these idealists ultimately the first seven are easy and then you do three that are you're in pain and it's like it reminds me of that mike tyson quote the, the great philosopher mike tyson Okay, so you you shared some, and did how did people respond? Like, did the TV people respond uh, to the video hosting?
2: Yeah. And and I wrote, I, I, somewhere in here, I have the response, but the woman was so impressed. She CC'd her boss on it and was like, we're going to discuss these at our next meeting. And again, no one asked me to do that. They didn't, you know, I I did that on my own because I couldn't stop thinking about how I know what I wanted. And I wasn't, I I was going to create the opportunity for myself. And the same thing with the TV producer for the reality show, the rejection didn't sit well with me. It seemed like a cop-out. So I just thought to myself, I got to put out these 10 reasons why I think now is a good time for a show. And I was, I'll be honest with you. I was very scared to press the send button because you're vulnerable. You're, you're putting something out there that no one asked for. But I kept thinking to myself, what do I actually have to lose? Maybe they'll never write back or maybe I'll get a step closer to what I want. So those were like exhilarating moments in my life. Highlights of my week. were just sending these lists to people.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, it's a full-time job being an idealist creator. If you want it to be (laughs) meaning it, it, it really is a source of millions of dollars. Like it could create careers. It could create projects. It could create, and and you realize you have the energy to do more than one thing, because if you pitch five different ideas to five different people who like them, some subset of those five, you'll be able to do, you'll have the energy to do. So that's really great that it's that that part's working out. And again, that's, you know, not necessarily one of the hard skills to making millions, uh, you kind of need the combination, but uh, it's a very important skill to basically rewire your brain. And there's a lot of evidence that you could re- re- rewire your brain as adults. Only in the past few years, they've they found out that adults have what's called neuroplasticity, where you could learn new things just as well as a little kid can learn them. And people don't really know that. They think, oh, I can't, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But the reality is now, science has shown that you can teach an old dog new tricks. Not that you're an old dog, but I am, and I could learn new tricks.
2: So for the newsletter, the marriage newsletter, I had a goal of getting to hundred subscribers in 48 hours or less. So okay. from Monday until this morning, that was my goal. I had a list of 10 different ways I was going to get to that goal. And I also just like, I wrote about the whole experience on LinkedIn so people could follow along the journey with me. And I got to 107, I think, and oh, I did 10 different things to get there. Some things worked really well and some things didn't work, but it was an awesome experiment to get people to sign up for this newsletter and it worked.
1: Wow, that's great. And so you're on Substack. I'm I'm now a subscriber to your newsletter, so I'm 108. And Thank you. uh uh this is unrelated to anything, but in yoga, there's 108 yoga sutras. So it just me saying 108 just reminded me of that.
2: It's a powerful number though.
1: So so I'm I'm the 108th subscriber to your newsletter now. But, uh, uh, and it's looking great. I see the comment. Uh, somebody's already commented how they're, they're really looking forward to this first years of someone says the first three years of my marriage have been nothing short of life changing. And I know that others are feeling the same way or are wondering what that means. Can't wait to read more. So that's, uh, that's great.
2: Yeah. And I, you know, I had some fails this week. I, um, was using another another newsletter software for this that I just got so hung up on. It wasn't working. It was stressing me out. I spent probably 15 hours struggling with it that I just made the move and said, you know what, I'm going to switch it all over to Substack and I'm going to go from there. There were a couple of things that held me back mentally that I really had to push through. But ultimately by today, I got the newsletter up and running. There's two different newsletters out. There's two different um, subscriptions. There's two different issues out there already. Two different posts of the newsletter. Got 100 subscribers and was able to find not only 10 different ways to get to 100 subscribers, but I also made a list of 10 ways to make each newsletter shareable so that people who landed on here and subscribed for the first time would feel empowered to share it with other people.
1: Yeah, that's great. I think, I think it's almost a full-time. There's many full-time jobs all at once that, that one has to do, but figuring out how to make it shareable and how to get more subscribers is, is of course, a nonstop uh, thing. And uh, you know you've had what? What were your biggest successes in terms of getting to the first 100 subscribers? And you wrote about it in the notes to me, but I want to kind of go over it uh, for for everybody.
2: So the two things that worked really well were number one, Facebook groups. So I've run a couple Facebook groups in my lifetime for Bridesmaid for Hire, for another wedding book that I was writing. So I went there first and I posted about this. And those groups aren't so active, but they do have some members. So posting there, I saw a ton of traffic and a ton of subscribers from Facebook groups. I also did some research and posted in about five or six other Facebook groups where either people were in the process of getting married or were in just sort of my overall demographic. And I saw immediate traffic, immediate subscriptions there. I found a lot of people who weren't married yet were rushing to subscribe to this because maybe they're feeling some Mm. of the feels that could happen.
1: That is a great point.
2: Yeah. And the second thing that worked really well was was reaching out to my email list. I have about 60,000 people subscribed to my bridesmaid for hire email. I have about, um, 5,000 with another email list I have. And I sent out really personal emails almost with personal stories. And I made it very interesting. And I got a ton of traffic that way as well. So those are my two ways that worked well. And those two ways didn't cost me a dollar to do
1: really nothing should cost you anything for getting a subscribers, particularly also if the content's good, ultimately it'll, it'll survive on its own and people will share. Like if you have 10,000 subs and 1% of them every week share this newsletter and that gets you, you know, a hundred more subscribers, potentially it'll just keep growing exponentially. Like as you get more subscribers, more will share and, and it grows exponentially. So it's just getting over that first hump, but it's great that you did the experiments to figure out which outlets are best for, uh, getting subscribers. You mentioned that Facebook ads didn't work. What, what did you try with Facebook ads?
2: I tried three different ads on Facebook. I tried two that were short videos, one that was just a photo with text. I didn't get any subscribers from it. I spent a total of $30, I think over the course of two days. And I think what it was, was my message wasn't clear. The copy wasn't clear and it felt very hard to sell you subscribing to a newsletter over Facebook real quick. So I think that I wasn't necessarily ready to execute a Facebook ad yet, since I'm still trying to figure out what all of this really is. I think what worked better for me was reaching out to my audience or similar audiences and having them spread it with people they thought would enjoy it.
1: Okay, so I have an idea which um, works really well and it really worked well for me building my newsletter, my free newsletter. And it's uh, this software called King Sumo. Have you heard of that? Software King I, Sumo. I
2: I have I think in the past I put it on one of my websites for like their heat map feature or something, but I haven't used it in years.
1: That might be a different thing. There's there's App Sumo. There's King Sumo. There's, there's
2: yeah. I think I used App Sumo. You're right.
1: So so what King Sumo is is it's a contest, and here's how it works. So let's say you, you, it's a contest for your subscribers. Uh, let's say I'm going to just hypothetically make something up. Let's say I have a newsletter about computers, and I'm going to give away the latest. MacBook. Okay. I'm just making this up and I'm going to give it to in a lottery style system to one of my subscribers, but, uh, here, here's, here's how it works. You get, if, if you're a subscriber, you get a link that you could tweet out. And it's a link that is specifically catered to you. So you get your own unique link and, or, or what, sorry, once you sign up for the contest, all the subscribers have to sign up for the contest. Once you sign up, you get a unique link from the King sumo app. And then, and then you share, you, you tweet that link and then anyone who signs up for the contest because of the link you tweeted, you get five more entries into the lottery. And now they all subscribe to the contest. They all enter the contest. And when they enter the contest, they automatically subscribe to your newsletter and they then get the unique link, a a different unique link specific to them. And whoever, and whenever they tweet it out, whoever subscribes because of their link, they get five new subscribers, five new entries into the lottery. So it kind of makes your contest go viral.
2: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Like let's say you have 20,000 subscribers. I've seen subscriberships double because of a King Sumo contest, if it's the right contest. And then some of them will unsubscribe after the contest is over, but you, you still get a lot of people who stick. And so you can get hundreds of thousands of subscribers this way over time
2: do you think the prize that you're giving away has to be so, so, so incredible and valuable, or it just has to be something that's free and people sort of care about and want
1: Uh, things that people care about or want. So let's say, um, let's say you have a bibliography of, you know, how to make your, your, your five to 10 favorite books about how to make a marriage work. Uh, you'll give that away for free and, uh, to whoever wins, or you could, um, give a a first year marriage wedding cruise. Cause you know, cruises are like cost zero right now because of the pandemic. So something that seems expensive, but actually is just a few hundred dollars might be the prize or the contest. So it's just something to think about. Maybe it's a little early right now to use a King sumo, but after you have 1000 or 2000 subscribers, it could start to be very useful and you could do it like once a quarter. And it's, you know, it's not, it's not, um, it's not unethical or spammy in any way, because you're offering value. You're offering people to win the contest and they can decide after reading your content, if they want to stay subscribed to the newsletter, like it's all, it's all win-win for, for everyone. There's nothing, nothing bad about it. It's just a way for people to get exposed to your newsletter in a favorable way. And they have incentive to do it.
2: Yeah, I think it's awesome for my audience because I know a lot of people who are getting married or maybe even recently married, they love a good giveaway. I mean, that's like the wedding industry and giveaways is everything to people. So I think this could fit really nicely into the audience I'm trying to go after too.
1: Yeah, and just brainstorming a little, you could even make the giveaway, whatever you're giving away, part of the business model. And what I mean by that is you go to a bunch of, you know, wedding providers, like here's a flower store, here's a whatever- I don't know what people buy for weddings. And you could say, listen, I'm giving away only one. I have 40,000 subscribers. I'm going to, I, once a quarter, I give something away. Would you like it to be uh, your product? And if yes, it costs $5,000 and you know, you beat out all the other people who want to give something away or you can have people bid for the right to be the gift for your subscribers.
2: Yeah. I think, I think it's such an awesome, awesome idea. And Getting to 100 was not terribly hard in 2 days but I want to really try to now take it to the next level and I think this is something that could help eventually really do that.
1: And how often uh, are you planning on writing a newsletter?
2: I posted that I'm going to I'm going to write once a week every Sunday.
1: Okay. So what I would recommend and I, and this is this is going to sound like overkill, I would recommend every day. <laughs> and I know that's right. impossible, but uh this basically it's not that the more you write, the better you'll do. If you, if you do a hundred, um, let's just hypothetically say, let's exaggerate and say, let's say you do a hundred a week, that's no good. You'll lose subscribers. But I find that the fastest way to grow a newsletter is every single day or worst case three times a week. So this way you're, you're always on people's mind, But, but that's not necessary. I'm subscribers to some newsletters where I don't get it every day, but I've noticed actually, that most of the newsletters I subscribe to, or at least the ones I remember, uh, I'm getting something every day from them. And so it could be like, maybe you answer a question on Quora and you use that as your newsletter of the day, or maybe you find some interesting story about weddings or some fact that you didn't know. And you just write it up. It doesn't have to be huge, but you know, ultimately when people do this as a newsletter, as their full-time way of making money there, there, it's easier for them to write one every day.
2: My biggest fear is always entering people's inboxes and annoying them. And I have I guess I have to get over that cuz my biggest fear is I can provide you I can provide you really great content every day, but am I going to annoy you or are you going to leave? Is this a bad mindset to have that I'm worried people are going to leave?
1: Yes, you're going to annoy some people and yes, your content's going to be so good that most people will want to read it. So here's what will happen. You could have either 400 really happy satisfied readers or you could have 40,000 readers of which a thousand get annoyed every week, but you're adding 2000 every week. So, uh, so that's the way to think about it. Really? It's still, if you have a thousand people annoyed at you, that means you have probably 30 or 40,000 subscribers. So it's an abundance mentality to be happy. You have people annoyed (laughs) at you. So, so (laughs) And, and and again, I know it's hard work to write one every day, but that's how you really stay in front of mind that they really know you're communicating with them. Like I know every day I'm going to get, I mean, I, I subscribe to one called exponential view, which charts, it has some exponential chart. Like I'm looking at it right now. Actually, I have it on my screen. The price to program cells is declining at Moore's law style rates. This means like using genomics to edit like stem cells the price is getting cheaper every year. It decreases 50% per year, which is unbelievable. Like it, in 2000, it cost a million dollars. Now it costs less than a hundred dollars. And then he has another one, PubMed query results by year. So this is more people are requesting research on pharmacology for some reason every year than the year before. And uh, here's the speed of supercomputers. Gold as a percentage of, US assets is going down every year. So I get all these like interesting little charts every day about things that are either that are growing exponentially. That's one of like, let's say 10 newsletters that I subscribe to. And and I get it every day.
2: Do you think the format has to be the same every day or can one day be the question answer one day, be a very long one another day, be something else.
1: I think the closer to your format is the better, but more, much more important, like 10 times more important is every day or three times a week or whatever you decide to do. So as long as you're in, they see your name, but they all should be high quality. So, so that needs to stay consistent, but the format doesn't have to stay the same. Although I would say like that one, I just was reading about, um, exponential view it's called, they have the same format every day because it's just like four or five charts per day and like a one paragraph, explanation of what the chart means and then a link to the source. So that, and that's great. That's it. It probably takes him really probably takes him about a half hour every day to do it. Um, so some formats are a little easier to do than others. So, you know, that's why I think the format can change a little bit. And maybe, maybe you could, um, even say, okay, here, this every Sunday is the deep dive one. And then the other days Mm -hmm. are, you know, here's a good book or here's, Uh, some, you know, 10 articles about marriage I just saw or five articles that you should read. Or here's some data about marriage that I didn't know. I'm sharing this. And, you know, here here's the most popular food eaten at weddings every day. And and, and like, you, like, you know, it was in your newsletter that you already put out. Again, uh, my eyes went right to, of course, the, the true statistic on how many marriages end in divorce in the first year or the first couple of years. 50% of marriages yeah. end in divorce. Like, so- people love facts, you know, cause you know, this is something that's interesting actually about financial newsletters. Cause I always wonder with financial newsletters, people pay for those, but most people that I know subscribe to financial newsletter newsletters never do the investments that are recommended. And I finally figured out why is because yes, they're informative and it's interesting information, but really people just want stuff to talk about with their friends. Like, Oh, have you seen this stock? you know, did you know this about uh, what Elon Musk is doing lately? Or here's this little company that Jeff Bezos is involved in. Like people just want stuff they could say at the water cooler or or a cocktail party or whatever. So they want, they want entertainment just as much as they want. And they want information they can share. So they appear smart and they are smarter because now they have this new information. So just having those interesting facts is, is interesting
2: even as the writer of these newsletters recently, I've been bringing up all of these things I'm learning to my friends, to Adam. I was walking around telling people, did you know that 20% of marriages will fail in the first couple of years? I feel like that is always like the most important part of these newsletters is those those big, that big facts. But do you think, um, do you think at some point I should say, because I think I was wondering if I should sort of tease people and say, sign up now because the first X amount of people get this for free, but then eventually maybe the daily newsletter is paid. Do you think I should even go there or not even talk about that right now?
1: Yeah. I don't think it's worth talking about that right now because you just don't know. Like, uh, this is what I said last time is that right now, you don't know what the business model is. It might be the case that you want a million free subs. I'm exaggerating, but it might be the case that you want a million free subscribers rather than 10,000 paying subscribers, because when you have free subscribers, your advertising, it becomes enormous. Uh, yeah. Particularly, such a niche industry as the the wedding industry, with a million subscribers, I could tell you, you're probably going to make. I mean, that, that's such an exact. Let's just say a hundred thousand subscribers, you're going to make probably close to a uh, million dollars a year or more.
2: Wow. No, that I, yeah, I almost was going to think about maybe saying something about it being paid in the future, but you're right. I don't even want to mention that now because I don't know what this could turn into. And a big thing that I was struggling with after we spoke last, this almost haunted me every day, was. We talked about making it general to marriage, but I couldn't get the idea out of my head of not just focusing on the first couple of years. So I it sort was. of ran with that. Yeah, focus I, on the
1: first couple of years.
2: Okay. I ran with that because I felt like, A, it's what I'm, I'm living. But two, I really think those are the years that a, a big audience really, really needs. In my head, and I wrote about this somewhere else, this is another fun fact, but there's 25,000 wedding planners out there and 12,000 divorce lawyers. And I wrote, there's nobody in between who helps you with, you know, everything else. And there's, that's why I do see such potential in an idea because there's no media outlet. There's nothing that really supports early marriage.
1: you mentioned before you got married, you saw a couples therapist. Yeah. Yep. And I think first off, I'd be curious how many couples therapists succeed at helping the couple. I kind of think once not, not in your case, because you were, you know so much about marriages and you've seen so what could go wrong in so many different cases. But I think by the time most couples go to a couples therapist, it's already on the slippery slide down and that's just part of it. So I'm just curious, like that might be a whole thing. Like when should one see, a couple like the ten different times someone should see a couples therapist. So, uh, but like every there's so many different topics here. I th- and and the thing is also like let's say you're catering to the first years of marriage, and you know you mentioned to me once the statistics on adultery in the in the first few years of marriage and or the reasons why there's adultery in the first few years of marriage. Well, guess what? People who are married for thirty years often also have to deal with adultery. So just because they're not reading your newsletter in general, they might have a friend who forwards the, uh, so their friends the the adultery issue, and, or one of the adultery issues, every topic you should write about many times, you know, and slice it in different ways, but, and their their friend might say, oh, this was really useful. Uh, is this newsletter about married couples? And their friend says, no, it's just about the first years of marriage. And they say, so what, I'm gonna subscribe anyway. This, is, this was really useful to me, and I've been married 30 years. And uh, so you never know, like, Focus it on the first few years, but you're, you're gonna get people from all, you're gonna get people who are not married, people who have been married 30 years, people who have fr- a lot of friends who are married, people in the wedding industry, you're gonna get all sorts. So just provide quality content. You know, For instance, let's say you do something about a post-nup, uh, you know, a post-nuptial agreement. That's of course useful for the first years of marriage. But if you're detailed enough and you provide quality information and maybe even a, what a sample post works looks like and links to post nuptial agreements and, and so on, who knows? Like, um, uh, you'll get tons of people who are not in their first years, but they like the sound of what a, a post nuptial agreement.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I challenged myself this week to write down 52 ideas for a newsletter, like 52 different topics and I think it probably took me 10 minutes because there's just so much and all of the 52 could easily be 13 ideas from one of them. And that's why I really, you know, I just, I keep feeling so validated in this idea because I just see how much there is to talk about, how there's not a lot of people talking about it and how you're right. I got people signing up who were single. I posted a poll on one of my Instagram accounts. Are you single? Are you married? Are you recently married? And uh, so many different people answered the poll and subscribed after that that were of all different relationship statuses. I think it does appeal to people who are dating because they're also, maybe there's people out there who are even considering whether or not to get married and something like this could be a resource for them
1: absolutely and people are going to be interested for all sorts of reasons. some people just like reading about weddings and yep that like i bet you most of the people who subscribe to bride magazine probably have never been a bride so you know they <laughs> want to dress for the job you want so people are going to subscribe to your newsletter uh, you know you might have many more people who aren't married but are what would like to be than people who yeah. are married so because yeah. and that's an audience you can cater to as well how to meet the right husband how do you so, so, or wife, how do you select the right uh, wife or husband? You know, all there's so many potential topics here. I think you're all you're all good on that. And uh, okay, so you bought the domain name, switched to Substack, and so what do you think about this idea of maybe just try it as an experiment, three times a week? Yeah, and then you could see if you can get up to five days a week—not Saturday and Sunday, but five days a week. And you never know. It might be easier than you think. It might be like writing that 10 ideas down because every idea list too could turn into an article.
2: Yeah. I think I can definitely do it. My question is, should I theme the week? So maybe one week is talking about marriage counseling and then the next week is talking about naps or should every day be random?
1: Every day be random. Okay. Yeah. Because, because you might have an idea six months from now, have you have you might have one idea about couples therapy that you didn't think of before and you just want to put it out there.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I could do it. I could do three times a week. I could do every day because I could write them in advance. I can sit down one day and write a bunch of them, schedule them to go out. So it's definitely doable. I would I would love to try it to see the growth too because I want it to grow fast. And you're right, once a week it's so forgettable. It gives people another reason not to open it if they only see it on a Sunday.
1: Right. Like if I don't get a newsletter that frequently then I see it pop up in my email. I'm like, Oh, Jennifer wrote me. Is it the Jen Jen? I know, or is what's Jen is this? And then I realize yeah. it's the newsletter, but if I'm busy, I won't read it. And then that's a week gone. Right. Like, you know, but if I see it every day, I get like some newsletters. Now um, i like, I go, I get, you know, hundreds of emails, literally like every 15 minutes and I have to constantly delete tons of emails because I, I always look at all these. I'm not counting the spam emails. And so uh, now the newsletters are one of the few emails I keep around that I get from everybody because I enjoy reading them and I got used to them over time. Yeah. So yeah. like sometimes I forget I subscribed to something like I forget why did I subscribe to this? But then I'm reminded when I read the newsletter.
2: You've almost built a relationship with the newsletter where you, I want them to look forward to getting this in their inbox, but yeah. I think so. I'm guessing the primary goal right now with this is to build subscribers. That's my number one thing I'm working toward here is to get this, to have more subscribers.
1: Yeah. And, and, and again, the reason is we don't know, nobody knows the business model when they first start a business, unless you're like, I don't know, a a deli or something. Uh, then, you know, okay, I want to sell more. Actually, even then you don't know the business model. Like for instance, what's the business model of a comedy club? Like you would think, oh, the business model of a comedy club is to have good comedians, and sell tickets. But actually the business model of a a comedy club is to sell a lot of alcohol with the excuse that people are coming to your bar because they could hear comedians. Yeah. So, so nobody really knows the business model of their business until they're doing it for a while. And then they, and then the business model starts to congeal and you start to figure it out. Um, I think
2: that's a big flaw of mine is I'm always a thousand steps ahead and we'll launch the idea, launch the business and it's a mess because I don't really know what's working or what's not working. So this is this process and working with you is slowing me down and being more strategic and not thinking about money right away.
1: Right, it's really about here's an important concept which is that money is just a byproduct of quality. So and quality is not only the quality of the writing but the quality of the effort you're putting into it and you know, your subscribers could tell if you're not that into it. And so it's all about quality at every step. And then the money just sort of happens. And I know if you're, if one is impatient for it and wants to start charging, once you start charging for anything, you put a cap on where you are. Like the business changes at that moment and you're no longer going to grow as quickly because now you have to focus on something else, which is money. So, you want it to grow quickly right now. And it doesn't the great thing about a digital product is it doesn't cost you any money. Really? It costs you time, but think about it too, that this time is not wasted because every newsletter you're writing, let's say you get no subscribers. Well, okay. Now all these new newsletters can be repackaged into chapters for your next book, or they can be repackaged into uh, magazine articles that you might get paid for, or who, or ideas for the TV show or whatever. Like, Uh, there's always kind of a plan B plan C, but really plan a is the newsletter is going to work. This is a great topic for a newsletter. Okay. So I'm looking at your questions, how to next grow and scale this? I think just growing the subscribers. And I see you wrote down 52 newsletter ideas. These are all great. I wish I had read these in my first, second, third, (laughs) fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh year of marriages. I haven't yet gotten past a seventh year of marriage, but I wish I had read all of these ideas.
2: Well, maybe that's another t- Maybe that's a whole article right there. How to get past that seven year marriage. Yeah,
1: Right. <laughs> I want to quickly go through um, Robert Cialdini's uh, six principles for influence. And he he's a scientist, a social scientist. So he kind of tested each one of these things. People who sell things really run with these ideas. and And particularly in the newsletter industry, it's good to have all of these things social proof is one of them. So social proof means testimonials. Like when people read the comments, that's social proof. So every now and then take a comment that really praises this or take a tweet that really praises this, and put this on the front page, the page before people subscribe to the newsletter, or you could put it at the bottom of each newsletter.
2: And I'm thinking in the future, if I do Facebook ads, again, that could be really helpful is to have social proof in the ads too.
1: And then the next thing is authority. That's where it's similar to social proof, except it's someone or or some institution that's famous that people would recognize like, oh, Barack Obama likes her newsletter. I'm getting it mm. so so like here you know, you have um you know you've had press coverage like from salon, from the Today show, and so on. You could put that on the the front page before people subscribe. Gotcha. so this is these these are very critical towards like if somebody's on the fence because they don't want to subscribe to so many newsletters, this will put them over. The fence, liking—I forget what that means. I think it means that they, people have to like you. But so in your newsletter, of course, you're you're personal and you're self-deprecating and you're vulnerable. Yeah. And in a, in the written format, that is a critical way. People, you you build likability among your readers. If you say, "Listen, I am the best marriage expert in the world," people won't like you. If you say, "Listen, yeah. I'm just like you," people will like you.
2: I, I I think it's funny how you said in the written world it works. I'm wondering if in the human world it works. Do you think? I I always think I'm a little too self-deprecating even in real in the real world, and I feel like sometimes people don't like that. Do you think that's a good trait to have just in the real world?
1: I think so. I mean, and and not as long as it's not like fake, but you're obviously sincerely, you know, interested in sharing of yourself. Think about it. Like I think this is a a, a common a commonly known thing, but when guys bond with each other. They talk about sports or cars, or I don't know, whatever. They talk about guy things. And when women bond with each other, they usually share something. They usually, they do a lot more sharing than men do. And I'm not just making this up. There's science about this as well. And for you, uh, I think your sharing comes really naturally. And again, it's a way to to bond with others and it increases likability. In the comedy world, this is well known that if you're somewhat self-deprecating, People will laugh a lot harder. And here, once somebody, a really great comedian, like famous great comedian, once told me, likability is even more important than humor for stand-up comedy. Because if people don't like you, they will never laugh. But if people like you, they will they will laugh no matter what. So th- that's critical.
2: Yeah, likability is something that. Cause I feel like I naturally don't have a ton of self-confidence. So that's like a skill that I am always working on. Cause I want to be able to walk in a room and feel comfortable in my own skin and attract people. And that's a tough one to master when you're when you're always bouncing back and forth on how you feel about yourself.
1: Yeah. And like so sometimes it's like telling stories about yourself. Sometimes it might be telling stories about others, but you but you express how you relate and and so on. So, you know, it may be, you know, like for me. I was writing so much about my failures when I first started in that style that I was running out of things to write about. So I would write about others. But when you write about like what you learn from a situation, that's also a form of self-deprecating. Like I didn't know this before, but now I know it and and I'm amazed by it because this situation is transcends who I am. Yeah. And uh, you know, that increases likability. And okay, now let's figure out this one. There's scarcity. So like, mm. you know, by You know, on Amazon, you go to a product page and it says, it specifically says only one left. And so you feel like you have to buy it. Yeah. Uh, uh, So I don't know. I always question like with digital products, some people advertise like I'm only accepting subscribers till this date. So subscribe now. And I just think that's in general, not always, but in general bullshit because it's a digital product. You can make a million of these. It costs you nothing additional. So scarcity is always a weird one, but maybe sometimes you could trigger scarcity. Like, Oh, Christmas is coming up. You know, if you're in your first year of marriage, five things to get your newlywed or whatever. So, you know, somehow like, and that could just be a, a throw in, in there, like not a big thing, but it's interesting to think about that in the digital world. Commitment, we kind of spoke about, which is really showing people that, this is what you do. You're, you're here to serve them. Like, so you're, you every issue is quality. You're not just doing this, for, you know, as a hobby, like they want to know that you're doing this for them and you're putting work into it. So that's commitment. Um, consistency is even if you do it once a week and it's every Sunday, do it every Sunday. Yes. Don't do it Monday, Monday, one week, Thursday, the next week, Sunday, the next, if you do it every day, stay consistent with that. Cause they'll miss it. You know, after a few days of not doing it now, unless you announce in advance, like I'm taking a one week break or whatever. Um, so that's consistency and reciprocity. So reciprocity is like doing a giveaway. Like for instance, you could make, and this could be also be on the front page before people subscribe, or this could be in a tweet or an ad or whatever. You can make a list, 101 things. I didn't know about marriage until the day I said I do you get that list from you, you know, maybe that's like a 20 page document or something. You get that list from you. If, um, if you subscribe to the newsletter, so you're giving something and in reciprocity, they subscribe to the newsletter and they don't feel bad about it. They feel good about it because they're getting something right away for it. And they know what they're getting.
2: Do you think even for the current newsletter, that the issues I have, they're accessible to anyone, even if you don't subscribe, should I try to change that so that you can't read past issues unless you've subscribed?
1: No, I think I I think having three or four past issues is good. Or uh, so it depends like after you do a lot I think it's good for them to read the last three. Uh Okay. Uh or or maybe like three just in the middle. Like three or four is good to be able to have for free, but then cut it off. Okay. Got you. But this giveaway is even on top of that. Like if you subscribe now and that could, this could maybe be related to scarcity. If you if you subscribe right now, You'll get my you know thousand and one things I learned about marriage, or a hundred and one things I learned about mm-hmm. marriage after I said I do, like cool, yeah, because people think they know everything before they get married, and the reality is they know nothing, so nothing,
2: yeah. yeah, and then they know even less once they're married, and then they think, what am I supposed to do now
1: and you could even change the giveaway occasionally, like you could have your the ultimate bibliography about marriage, like your the the the, the thirty mm-hmm. books you need to read before you get married, mm. uh, something like that or 30 resources you should visit before you get married. Like here's the legal zoom page on prenuptials. Here's, uh, you know, facts about divorce in each state, or I don't know, those were negative. Maybe (laughs) there should be some positive ones as well, but, uh, uh, so, so yeah. So that's, I think, think about Robert Cialdini's, uh, six things. There's another one, a seventh one he wrote about called unity. People want to know that you're like them. I, I had this conversation on the podcast yesterday with an author who wrote a story about a really great spy. Uh, this guy was a spy of of our nuclear secrets during World War II, and he gave you know Russia all the nuclear whatever. And she said something very interesting. The the, the author of this story she said that everyone always scapegoats. Everyone is always suspicious of people who are different. In reality a spy is not going to be the guy who's the weird looking guy standing on the corner. The, the, the spy is going to be the one who joins every club, joins every fraternity, goes to every social event, has a good sense of humor. Everyone likes him or her. And it's the, it's the person who fits in the most. That is the best spy. And so, uh, you know, because that's the one who's going to persuade people to give them their secrets, not the weird guy, but the, the guy who blends in with everybody. So I don't think, I'm not saying you should be a spy, but it was an interesting comment that she wrote uh, basically against the, the concept of scapegoating. The similar principle works here is that people like newsletters by people like themselves. And I'm thinking about my own experience with newsletters. Like I subscribe to a newsletter about sports. Well, I hate sports. I never once have read anything about sports. I would never subscribe to a newsletter about sports but this newsletter is, and this guy's been on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, this newsletter, it's called Huddle Up, and it's about the intersection of sports and finance. So he might do an article about what are the most valuable uh, sports teams in the world. So Manchester United, the New York Knicks, you know, the Dallas Cow, whatever, New England Patriots, and he'll explain what their value is, how he knows. And I love this newsletter because I relate to it somewhat because I'm interested in finance. Yeah. And, uh, so having things that, uh, you know, show people that you're in this with them, like you're in your first years of marriage that actually enhances your credibility. No, one's going to say, Oh, I wanted somebody who was married for seven years. Cause then I know they're an expert, but the reality is you're only an expert. If you're in your first years of marriage, because marriage, the concept of marriage changes so much every few years anyway.
2: Yeah. That's why I I couldn't just do it about marriage in general. Cause I thought, what am I, who, who am I to do that? I don't know a thing about marriage. And I want to write this from the perspective of that early side where you're making mistakes. And also I'm in the thick of it. I've been married, I don't know, two months, four months, who even knows I wanted to come at it from that perspective. So that's, yeah. that's good to know. I think that that is powerful is when you do find something to connect with not only the writer, but what's inside too.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, you have an interesting perspective because on the one hand you're like everyone else. This is, you, you're saying, these are my first years of marriage too. On the other hand, you're an expert because you've been to 176 weddings in the past few years. Like that's, and you, and not only just attended, you were the bridesmaid. So yeah. you became intimately involved with what was happening. What are the stories? And, and, you know, you have all these stories that nobody else has about weddings and marriage. And again, marriage, like, people will subscribe all day long to finance newsletters because finance is something really important in our daily life. But guess what? So is marriage. Marriage is very important in our daily life. And many millions of people are interested in marriage. Like how many, how many people got married this past year?
2: Oh, I can tell you the average person spent $20,000 getting married in the pandemic,
1: which I found to be wild. Even in the pandemic Yeah. last year, even, Oh no, this is 2019 there were over 2 million marriages in -hmm. the United States, 2 million. So that's 4 million people who would be interested in your newsletter, plus all the people who are thinking about getting married, plus all the people in the marriage industry, plus all the people who have been married for more than three years who are still interested. So this, that's why this has a huge potential audience. Uh, and, And it really just depends on, you know, how you get the word out there, the quality of the newsletter, these Robert Cialdini principles of influence, you know, trying these ideas like a King Sumo or like a giveaway related thing and and so on.
2: I think I'm, well, I'm going to write a new list of 10 ways to get more subscribers and, and work on that. Cause I even wrote, there was like four ways that I should have done this week that I just didn't do that could have brought me even more subscribers. So getting a hundred was easy, but I could definitely get to a thousand that, you know, that should be my goal.
1: By the way, uh, in your CNBC video series, this one topic, weird wedding businesses, that would be a great newsletter topic.
2: Yeah, it's a, yeah, I, I thought so too. Someone reached out to me from CNBC asking me to to give them ideas for weird wedding businesses for their article, and they wanted to use me as a source for that. And I thought that could be a whole series right there of weird wedding businesses. Right.
1: So, so maybe maybe every Monday is weird weird wedding <laughs> business Monday. And I like it. You have two new weird wedding businesses to write about. Some people might subscribe just for that and yeah. they might share that all over the place. Like I, for instance, I would share that with my daughters who are looking for businesses to start. Yeah. So, um, so I, I, yeah, a lot of these video ideas that you pitch to CNBC could be also multiple newsletter ideas. And, and by the way, every one of your newsletter ideas is not just one idea. It's multiple ideas because, right. you know, if you write about post nuptials, you can write about it again a few weeks later, but with a different slant on it or a different story or whatever, or depression. There's 60 million ways people are depressed and there's things to write about depression in marriage. Or how do you explain to your husband or wife who's never been depressed? And what kind of, will your treatment, you know, affect your libido or affect your relationship or whatever. So yeah, all sorts of like, even so you just have the one topic, which is depression, but that's like 50 newsletters right there.
2: I polled my audience, my Bridesmaid for higher audience. I said, those of you that are recently married, what are things you wish you knew before you got married? What are the biggest problems you're having right now? And it's anonymous to anyone but me. So I got probably like 25 responses from people. I wrote down every single response. And right there, those are 25 ideas for emails too. So... It's it's endless. And I loved hearing it from other people because I could brainstorm all day, but the truth is there's so many people out there experiencing things I'm not that I want to know about. So I'm going to continue to do research too to make sure I'm hitting the hot topics and also hitting them with urgency based on time of year. You mentioned Christmas and the gift guide for Christmas. But in my head, I'm guessing that the holiday season, this is just a guess might be one of the most tough times for a new marriage because you're having to make all of these decisions about whose family you're going to go to and things like that. So I also need to, yeah, I need to make uh, it a point. Holidays are
1: a drag for married couples.
2: I know. I know. In so many ways. In finances, like in literally every single category of a way, I think the holiday season is the toughest on a relationship.
1: You know, another thing that might be interesting is doing some form of Twitter Q&A. So like maybe, and this could be something that you do on an ongoing basis. So for for six years, I did this. Every Thursday from 3.30 to 4.30 in the afternoon, uh, for six years, I did a Twitter Q&A where people knew that was like my Twitter office hours, and I did it from twenty ten till about twenty sixteen. and then I stopped. But I would take I would do it for like an hour, hour and a half. people would ask me nonstop questions about whatever and and then I would write, I, you know, in Twitter's you're limited to the size of your answers, but I would write more extensive answers usually on Saturday, and that would give me an article. But then I took all of my um, you know, or many of my Q and a sessions and turned the extended version into a book called, uh, FAC me, F A Q me. And then I did another one, which I haven't published yet actually called FAC me too. T O O. So, uh, uh, there's all sorts of uses for all of these things, but, but, but one thing that it did though, was it got me a lot of subscribers on my free email list.
2: You know, it's wild. The other day I saw that I had tweeted you during the Q and a in 2013, a question, I think it was about, I don't even remember, but balance or something. And you wrote back, and oh, yeah? I screenshotted it just as a memory. I even forgot what your advice was. But yeah, I remember the Q&As and I remember tweeting you. And it's a great way, again, of connecting with the person if you enjoy what they're putting out there, that one-on-one.
1: Yeah, and you get used to that Q&A format, which kind of fuels. Then you could look on Quora to see if anyone's asked a similar question. And now you have a ready-to-go answer on Quora or on Reddit. If you, if you could do an, an Ask Me Anything, an AMA on Reddit, that's usually a valuable so like when the book choose yourself came out, I did an AMA that day. And it was one of the most popular AMAs they ever had up to that point. And choose yourself was like number one for Amazon in the entire store. So, wow. uh, uh, it, it really helped repel things. And now you're just, you're not even selling anything. You're just giving something for free, your newsletter. So
2: I've been loving core, by the way, I've been making it a point to answer a lot of questions throughout the week and making my responses longer. Here's how I'm doing that is I'll do the speech to text. So I'll, I'll speak into my phone about what the answer is and have it type it all out for me. That way I can write these longer responses and I've loved doing it. I got, I've gotten thousands of views. I've gotten a lot of people, um, not a lot of people following me, but I'm enjoying it. I don't do it as much as I should, but it's been a really fun way of building um, my audience, but also finding out what questions people are having about weddings and marriage and things like that. I did get some people sign up to the newsletter from Cora too.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I think in every answer or not every answer you can experiment, but I think at some point, sometimes I used to do this, like in the middle of an answer or an article I would put in brackets, uh, Please sign up for my newsletter. The first year of Ma- years of marriage, and then you you have that's a link, you know. So if they click on it, they go to your your page. So and I like doing the call to action like in the middle of an article or in the middle of an answer because it doesn't it oddly doesn't seem as much like an ad if you like as if because everybody else does it at the end.
2: Yeah. No, so, I, I like that.
1: Um. So yeah, I think this is this is great. So now I think the main goal now is uh, just getting subscribers, but you know, we worked, talked about a couple of different ideas for just building up subscribers. And then next time let's talk more about speaking and other business concepts relating to marriage or related. Also we should think about things unrelated to marriage. So maybe completely different things.
2: Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, I I really love this idea, but I'd love to also talk about other things too. And that would be fun. I've been really inspired just to make so many different changes and experiments in my life. And even with the Bridesmaid for Hire business, I optimized some of my landing pages with videos, the personal videos explaining services or just explaining something. And I've gotten a lot of people buying things just by making these little experiments and these little changes. So it's been great. It's been cool to, I feel this this sense of just put things out there, try things out and not have so much hesitation. So I've been feeling really awesome in the past couple of weeks, just in general.
1: I have an idea actually. You know how if someone's having a wedding, Sometimes they hire a wedding planner, but they also hire a flower company. They also hire a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, what do you call the place where you have the wedding <laughs> An event space? Yeah. Uh, uh, they, they hire a lot of things. So I have an idea, like think of all the things that people spend money for in a wedding. And then I have a, an idea related to that. So okay. we can talk, talk about that next time. And uh, what else is going on? You, you, uh, New York's opening up. Are you staying? Are you sticking around New York for now? Are you going on vacation anywhere?
2: We're looking. We're going to Chicago next week. We're going hopefully to Montana. I've always wanted to go to Montana my whole life. I don't know why, but I've had this like calling to go to Montana. So we're booking a trip to Montana.
1: I hear a lot of people just, from LA are moving to Montana. I hear like that's just like how people are moving to Austin. I hear people are moving to to Montana as well. Like that's a hot that's food.
2: what I've heard. I don't know why. I've always had an obsession with Montana. So we're I'm finally getting to go. And maybe, maybe I'll move there. I don't know. New York is fine. I I'm I feel over New York. I feel maybe that I should have some sort of change in my life. So I'm constantly thinking of wait perhaps where we can move next. But
1: I have see. a friend, um uh, Jabril, who makes these YouTube videos about different almost exotic locations. Like he'll be in Median. Medell- Columbia. And he'll do a whole video on why Medellin, which nobody used to want to live at because of the drugs is actually the best place in the world for young expats to live. Or he'll do a similar one And right now he's in Ghana in Africa and he's doing a whole video series on why people should live in Ghana. And, it, and he makes it seem amazing. Maybe it is amazing to live there. And he has a couple of different business models around it. One is just the ads on the YouTube video, but then also he'll recommend different real estate mm-hmm. agents or different properties, like different buildings, and he figures out how to get like a fee or a deal with with each place he recommends. And yeah. so, and and he makes he's been doing this for like five or six years. He makes a great living doing this.
2: Wow, wow, no, that's interesting. I and that's the thing is that I feel like sometimes you make the most money with these alternative ways of thinking about making money, right? Not only just the ads, but thinking about all these other ways that you could optimize that to make the money, which is really cool, which I don't think of. I'm so straightforward with my ideas and how I'm going to make money off of it. If I wasn't talking to you right now, I would have launched this newsletter with a subscription plan that people can choose from and it wouldn't have worked. It just wouldn't have worked. So.
1: Yeah. Cause it's always, cause here's what happens in general subscriptions is that you're, you want to get first a large audience and then the, there's a formula. Some percentage of that audience that's already your free audience will now subscribe. But if yeah. you don't have the large audience or if you don't have the free audience, there's no formula. It's just random how many people subscribe. So like one friend of mine, uh, I might've mentioned this before. He he came to me with this idea. Um, well, I won't I won't go over the whole details, but he didn't have a free email list and he started a, a newsletter. Oh no, here's what it was. He sold, he was making a report and he and he came to me. And he's like, what do you think of this? And it was something like, you know, 50 biotech stocks you need to know for the next five years. And I said, no, 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 that's a horrible title. Like biotech or genomics is, is growing every two years. So in five years, it'll grow two more times or three more times. Title it 50 stocks are gonna go up 300% over the next five years. So he did that and he sold, and he was going to sell it for $20. He was going to sell it as a book. I said, no, 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 sell it for, uh, $200. And he was broke. He was dead broke at the time. And he was living like in his mom's basement and he sold something like 2000 of these for $200. So he made $400,000 like in a few weeks. And, uh, uh, and then from that, he started his newsletter, but the reason I bring it up is he didn't have a free newsletter at that time, so he didn't know how large his audience was, but he went back through all of his Gmails over the prior 10 years, mm-hmm. and there were about 30,000 unique people in it who had written to him about business-related stuff. So he sent this out to all 30,000 people, and he got like, that's how some percentage of that of that group wow. bought his report. And that yeah, subscribed to his newsletter.
2: I feel like we, I always hear stories of people who created one thing, sold it for 200, made 400,000. And I always think, well, how did they get people to buy it? So that's interesting that it was almost just going through his old lists and emailing them.
1: Yeah. That that it's always, you know, I used to say, well, so in my very first business I made websites for, you know, no co- companies didn't have websites that I made the original AmericanExpress.com, TimeWarner.com, time Warner.com, con Edison.com and, and on and on and on. And the one theme I always tried to practice, and I tried to enforce so everybody in the company would practice it, is your best new customers are your old customers. So rather than trying putting in all the effort to find a new customer, I'd go back to Con Edison and I'd say, mm-hmm. um, "Listen, I made ConEdison.com, but now you're working on you know spreading all this information about Y two K issues. Why don't you make a separate website about that?" And I'm like, "Oh, great idea!" And then that would be a new Project for me, where I made just as much money as making conedison.com. So, in the same way, your best new, your best paying subscribers are your older subscribers. So, yeah, that's always something to keep in mind. But um, yeah. anyway, congrats on the great start. I can't wait to read the next issue. That's a that's also an interesting thing. Is that um, I wish I could read this every day. I want to be able to read any newsletter I subscribe to. I want to be able to read it every day, not just once a week. So, yeah you know, and I know it's harder, harder work, but I think it's important. And I I've learned this in various ways, even for paying subscribers. Uh, it's very important to be as much as possible. So they know you're in constant communication with them.
2: I never would have thought about the everyday thing, but I'm, I'm up for the challenge and I'm going to try it. Why not? You know, I'm definitely up for it. And it seems exciting just because there are so many things to possibly write about too. So I'm up uh, for it.
1: I was doing a newsletter once that was for pay. It was a subscription newsletter and I was doing once a month. And everybody in the newsletter industry told me, what are you doing? You're gonna, your business is gonna go nowhere. You gotta do a couple times a week at least if you wanna keep these subscribers. And they were right. Like my retention rate soared uh, after I wrote a couple times a week at least.
2: Yeah, no, it makes sense. People, you're right. If someone's giving me their email, they're wanting that value. I have to stop being so scared Enter their inbox and give them what they signed up for,
1: yeah. so, um, all right. well, Jen, this is great. Great stuff. And uh, how in terms of everything else, like are you keeping physically healthy? Do you get exercised? you yeah, are your relationships' yeah, I, good. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I'm, you know, I'd say that definitely writing about marriage has made me come to the table with more arguments about marriage. <laughs> Ironically, I feel like as I'm doing more research about marriages failing and changing, I find myself every day going to Adam saying, did you know that if we don't do this or if we don't talk about this, we have a higher chance of failings. So I think this is giving me more anxiety in my relationship, but maybe that's good. Maybe it's just Showing me that it's working or that these topics are worth exploring. (laughs) And also
1: you are exploring the reason you're not giving reasons to end it. You're giving reasons to keep it. So
2: exactly. exactly.
1: It's that daily 1% improvement in, in the marriage just pays off in the end.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Another goal I'm working on is self-publishing my first book. This will be my third book total, but I'm just going to self-publish it. And my goal is to publish it by in the middle of August. So I have just like one or two chapters left, and then I'm going through the process for the first time of getting it up on Amazon and selling it by myself. And I'm proud because this is a book that got rejected by every publisher. It's a book I wrote anyway, and I'm excited to learn the process of self-publishing also along the way.
1: What's the title?
2: The title is Finally the Bride, and it's about my personal experience of getting married. And in that book, I write about going to a marriage counselor, going to a divorce lawyer, just really exposing the process of engagement to marriage. Plus the pandemic happened. And also in the book is more stories about being a bridesmaid for hire. So I'm excited to, to go through the process for the first time as an author, self-publishing the book.
1: Yeah, that sounds excellent. All right. That that sounds good. And, that, and look, again, here, the reason why publishing books is good, and this is your third book, is that if people are trying to decide between two marriage newsletters, for instance, and and they're all and they look kind of the same it's hard to tell but one of the writers has written 3 and published 3 books and the other one hasn't has published nothing everybody will pick the newsletter where the person published 3 books so yeah. it's just a good i you know that's not the reason you write a book but it's just a good idea anyway
2: yeah, it's a good idea anyway, and I'm just sick of feeling bad about publishers rejecting me. That I should learn the self-publishing process. It's not hard, and it's something I have a feeling I'm going to do many more times in my life. So this is a huge goal of mine, just to get this up on Amazon myself.
1: And you know, one thing you could do is, and this is kind of uh, uh, an interesting giveaway. You could price it at like $5.99 or whatever you know, the Kindle that is at least. You know, mm-hmm. do it as paperback and Kindle, and and yeah. I would do it as an audio book too. Are you going to do it as an audiobook? Yeah. Definitely do it yep. as an audiobook and you have to hire a studio to do it. You can't just do it in your apartment because it gets done really professionally. And uh uh and studio doesn't cost that much. It's like, you know, some some amount per hour. You're paying by the hour. But um uh it's a huge difference. But the reason you want to do paperback audiobook and Kindle and by the way Amazon is happy if, like the paperback is is uh print on demand through amazon so that they have a whole resource to do that but the more items there are on the page for the book uh like oh here's paperback here's hardcover here's audiobook here's kindle the more professional it looks the more likely mm-hmm. people are to buy it but what i what i would do is maybe price the kindle at some higher than average amount like 5.99 and uh do a week spe- a one week special, where anybody who subscribes to your newsletter gets a PDF of the book for free. So that's like a recipro- that. reciprocity. Yeah, no, that's
2: awesome. That's and awesome. Then a, this and then is by a book. Way, I've been, yeah,
1: that doesn't slow down the paperback copies because people like it; they'll want to buy it for their friends, and they'll get a paperback copy.
2: Right, right. I find that sometimes people buy the ebook, and they, if you like a book so much, you do want that paper copy sometimes too. I know I do that. So yeah. yeah. I was going to I'll, I'll tell you the truth I was going to do the audiobook myself so I'm glad you're reminding me not to do it that
1: way. Okay, so I remember uh so I was talking to Tucker Max and he said you got to do an audiobook. This is 2013 for choose yourself. And uh cuz Tucker and I would always have these conversations about publishing and uh I'm like, "Oh, nobody read nobody listens to audiobooks, do they?" I ne- I said I've never listened to an audiobook in my life. And he's like, "Dude, everybody is starting to listen to audiobooks. In a few years, more people will be listening to audiobooks than reading." paperbacks and i think he's right now like now i still get nice checks every month for choose yourself the audiobook from from audible and and then he called my wife and said make sure james doesn't do it in his closet with some stupid mic and he cannot do it himself he had and he he has to do it at this studio X Y Z. and he has to use this uh producer and that producer back from 2013 is the person who's who's actually going to be listening to this uh, audio and editing it before it's released as a podcast. Like I continued to work with that guy.
2: Wow. Wow. So, okay. I guess I can't do it. I would do it in my closet too with my mic, but you're right. I guess if it's something people are going to buy, then you want to make it professional.
1: Totally professional. And you, the great thing about a self-published book is you could riff. It could be slightly different content. You could tell stories that come to your mind. So it's almost like a different product. It's the, it's, I think that's called the unabridged or maybe that's the abridged version. I forget. So uh, but yeah, it just sounds better that way. And it's professional. You want to make this look as professional as possible when it's self-published.
2: Yeah. All
1: right. Well, Jay could schedule for next week, but let's, I, I look forward to, uh, reading your, your next issue.
2: Thank you for all this advice. It's so helpful. And I just really appreciate it.
1: No problem. I'm, I'm enjoying this. And, uh, and I, so I will see you next week.
2: I'll see you then. Thanks, James.